All right, it's time now to bring in Yogi Roth, football analyst for the Pac-12 Networks. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Yogi, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, Well, you know, adjusting to the new normal, as is everybody else. And I wonder what that means for Yogi Roth. I assume that means you've gone back and watched cut-ups of every Pac-12 game all year. Am I right? <laughs> it, it's, it hasn't happened exactly like that. Um, you know, I've been able to uh, become a preschool teacher to our five-year-old now. So we, we kick off school about 9.30 every morning. And then uh, we go for a couple hours. And in the afternoon, I get some good tape in, which is fun because he's been watching it with me. So I haven't gotten through every game. But uh, it's definitely been fun to kind of watch some of the meaningful ones back and you know, look at some teams that are losing some key players, and you start to imagine what you hoped you would have seen in the spring. And then, of course, I've been talking to some coaches about you know what does "quote unquote" spring even look like now. So, um, yeah, days are days haven't been exactly uh, the same every single day, at least for the for the first week or so of this. Did I see you on social media, Yogi? Say you were practicing intermittent fasting, and about ninety minutes into your first one, you were starving to death. That's pretty fair, uh, to be quite honest. With you. My, my, yeah, my, my wife does that all the time. And uh, so I've done it. I, I've had my stints where I, like, make it a day or I make it, like, four days or I make it two weeks. And then I'll see, like, Kyle Whittingham. I'll get inspired and I'll try to see if I can carry it out. But I'm a breakfast guy. You know, I don't need – I, I really don't even need another meal the rest of the day. Like, I need a breakfast and then, like, like a latte or something midday. And then I'm usually pretty good. Well, then you're already intermittent fasting if you don't eat after breakfast until breakfast the next day. You know, that's a, that's a great point. You know, I always thought it was like, you know, you, you got to do it at 6 o'clock at night to, to noon or whatever it is. But, yeah, yeah you're right. I'm going to tell my wife this after this. Like, I'm basically just doing it in reverse. I think most people do it that way just because they find it easier. You know, you've slept through overnight, so there's eight hours or so, and you get up and you sl- if you skip breakfast, that's just, you know. I think a lot of Americans are already skipping breakfast, so it's the easiest one to do. All right, so agreed, agreed. we're looking at the uh, we were we were we've just been talking about this. We were looking at the uh, the spring predictions. Uh, you know, you see what recruiting classes come in and who might be able to plug in a, a transfer or a freshman or something, and who's got depth and who needs a new quarterback. And, and so you rank the six teams in the Pac-12 South. And it seems like the Utes are routinely being picked second or third. I don't see how that can be on the strength of the roster. they got to replace almost the whole defense, plus the quarterback, the star running back, and the left tackle on offense. So it seems to me that's more an evaluation of the strength in a program, and that's pe- people dismissing chronic weaknesses in programs at UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado. Is that how you see it? Yeah, you know, I made the mistake last year. I thought, uh, you know, UW would win the Norris. <clears throat> that's what I picked um, to, to kick off the season. And obviously it was wrong, and it was based on historicals, right? It was, you know, the consistency of Chris Peterson, the consistency of replacing players. Like, they'd done it before, right? You think about, you know, they lost Buda Baker and replaced him with Taylor Rapp, you know, and they lose Taylor Rapp and replace him with Elijah Molden. You know, like, you just you don't think it's going to change. Uh, but the reality is, is they lost, you know, I think it was – 10 of 11 or something like that on the defense. They're 9 of 11 last year heading into the season. Very similar to, to Utah. And uh, and you're right. You know, this conference is just brutal when you look at the way the schedule is laid out. You know, the good, for, good thing for Utah this year 
other than obviously kicking off with the BYU, Montana State, Wyoming, two games they should go get before they they play Cal. But it's kind of what happened to UW last year too. If you think about it, when they lost that crazy game that went till about two thirty in the morning or so. Um, so yeah, I'm a little uh, I'm apprehensive to go down that road now of like you know what the program just doesn't flinch they'll just reload and away they go. You have to like recognize like greatest defense in my, in my era of calling games on the Pac-12 networks. I think that was the best defense, you know, when you look at individual personnel, because a lot of guys are going to end up finding their way to the league, or how they played cohesively as a unit. So I do think they've got, um, you know, they'll get picked high, but they got to reload, and not having the spring, um, at least presumably, is is going to be difficult in, in that regard, um, regarding the team and the 15 practices or whatever they would go get to figure out the depth chart, but let alone really understand and be able to play fast. And a lot of teams are going to be in that hole, so it might net out, but a lack of experience um, at some key spots I think will be something for Utah that, that I'll look at. But I still think they're one of the best. They're a top-four program in this conference, you know, defending South Champs twice. You know, SC's loaded coming back. Um, but they got to do the same thing on defense, per se, at least from a scheme standpoint, even though they return their players. When you look at the loss of spring ball, Yogi, I'm wondering who you think it affects the most because you've got a number of programs having new coaches, if not head coach, then coordinators, and then also, too, you got teams trying to place, replace quarterbacks, and then you got somebody like the Utes, who seems like, uh, particularly on defense, they're trying to replace everybody. So who do you think is hurting the most, or do you think it just washes out? I don't think it washes out. I mean, I look at teams like UCLA. You know, this is a team, year three, Chip Kelly, right? I always think of, like, Baylor, year three. I think they were, like, 11-2 and two they finished, I think, last year. You know, and they went. They started at 1-11, and 11, I believe, the first year under Matt Rule. So here's a UCLA team that was dangerous, you know, the last two years of Chip Kelly, right? They beat SC his first year. You know, last year they you know, some really competitive games. You know, they, they went through that stretch prior to heading into Utah. But they didn't go to a bowl game, so they haven't really doing anything in terms like legit football, you know, with pads on for a while. So I look at a team like that where you're trying to really, you know, maintain momentum, the drive from not achieving, you know, a bowl game or any postseason success. I, I think it hurts those teams. You know, same thing with like in Arizona, you know. And then I look at Colorado, you know, with brand new staff, you know, quarterbacks who I thought they was going to start there, Blake Stenstrom enter the, the transfer portal. You know, they got a mid-year enrollee from Texas who is a beast, but we all know what that means. You know, it's still a different world. So I, I think those teams, and then even Washington State, you know, the run and shoot, I, I played in it. It is my favorite offense, I've admitted many times, in the game. But it's based on reps, you know. And granted, in the past game, like, you can get those with your with your guys in off-season workouts, but we don't even know when those will be allowed to occur. So I, I, I'd go with those four teams. Um, you know, a team like Stanford, you know, where they got in, you know, a week and a half of practice. You know, Davis Mills was dealing. So for a team that didn't have a bowl game, like, mitigate it, you know, because of because of that factor and they were able to play a little bit. But I, I look at those, you know, initial teams that I referenced where I, I think it's going to be hard for them. You know, I'm really interested. Uh, we're talking with Yogi Roth here from the Pac-12 Networks. I'm really interested in USC because it seems to me like they could be several different teams. It seems like the frontline talent is there. It seems like off what I've read about the recruiting, the depth might not be. So they might be pretty good early on. But if they have injuries, 
how well could they ride out that storm and how fragile are they? You know, as long as things are going well, that's great. But how fragile are they if something starts to go wrong? Because I wondered that a year ago, and they took some hits early. They finished strong, but they couldn't quite catch the Utes. Yeah, well, it's an interesting year, right? Like last year was kind of like teams had two buys. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really happen for everybody this year, you know, including, you know, SC in that regard. So they have one basically in the middle of the season to kind of reload and regroup. And if you bookend it, they start with Bama and end with Notre Dame. You know, not the, the easiest of roads, and, and that's what SC's about, right? I mean, they even canceled their game against UC Davis. Um, I think it was for next year because, you know, SC's one of uh, two schools or three schools in the country to never play an FCS opponent. Um, regardless of that, their their reality is the following for me, and I've been around them the most in the offseason just from a natural proximity standpoint and being around the program and hosting a couple events for them. You know, th- this team's dialed in, man. I mean, this is this team's locked. They're loaded offensively. We know what they are. You know, the receivers that they lost, or at least in Michael Pittman Jr., obviously it's a loss, but Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy would start everywhere in the country for the most part, you know, at least be a part of the conversation, and they're going to be fighting for reps. So they're loaded on offense. they got five running backs. Their offensive line in this system is good enough. It's, it's way above average in that regard. I, I get they have to replace Austin Jackson, who, you know, we'll see where he gets drafted, but everything seems like he's a first-round pick. Um, but they've got consistency on that side of the ball. Defensively, it's been really interesting because Clay Helton hasn't, doesn't have one coach on his staff that he had day one when he became the full-time head coach. But everybody there, whether it was an offensive player or a defensive player, and I was just with JT Daniels, Talano Hofunga, their quarterback and safety, and they talked about how they felt the staff and just a different type of discipline there. And I think that is going to be great for the program. Um, I think it makes guys prove that you know, they're worthy of playing. And they've got veteran players, to your earlier point. You know, they got one of the best linebackers, I think, in the conference, Pilot EA, now Teote. Um, they've got defensive linemen that uh, you guys know better than anybody, Jay Tefele. You know, like they, they've got talent all over the roster. Um, if they can become mature talent, which they haven't been in a while, then they're going to be dangerous, you know. And that, to me, is what spring would have been great for. Because in L.A., you know, or just society in general, it's built on being an individual to a large degree. And if SC can get the talented individuals to play cohesively as a unit, like Utah did last couple of years on defense, and really how they have in a, you know for the Kyle Whittingham tenure, they're going to be super dangerous. So right now, I, I would pick them if you had to pick somebody in the South based on the losses at Utah. Uh, I was I was bummed I didn't get to watch them in spring ball, but I I, I think that they'll be as dangerous as anybody because early on when teams are struggling you know this as well as i do teams are going to struggle on defense it's going to be communication it's going to be splits it's going to be alignments just in terms of not having spring ball not having these reps you know even not having the strength and conditioning but offensively like they're going to move the ball you know they're going to be dealing quarterback whoever it ends up becoming whether it's keaton or jt they're going to be just fine so i think early on in the year they'll be dangerous if they can you know, be much mentally mature because they're going to have to be obviously with week one tilt against Alabama. What do you think the loss uh, uh, looks like it's heading that way of spring ball is going to do to impact training camp when it starts in August? It's a great question. I've been banging around with, with Ted Robinson on our podcast, and I, I, I think that um, 
don't want to project too hard, right? Like I'm not in any conversations with any campus officials or conference officials, but if you play this thing out just based on the news last night, right, of you know how serious this is first and foremost, and you know how groups of people larger than you know in some countries it can't be more than two, right? We're talking about a sport where you know there's a team in every conference on average, I would imagine that gets some sort of you know, God forbid, staff infection or flu or something passes through a locker room, and it passes through football faster than anything. Because you got 105, 115 guys in training camp, you know, constantly connected, whether it's, like, legitimately physically because they're contacting each other in drills or within, you know, a three-foot proximity just in the locker room or, you know, all the things of that nature. So I think it's going to impact it. Um, and then you look at the physicality, and, and I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, how are guys working out right now? Like, we know they're really driven, right? I, I don't think football players, at least at the highest of levels and the highest of programs, they're not lazy individuals, right? Coaches are super anal and organized. So kids have their workouts. So they're doing a 1,000 push-ups or burpees or whatever it is that they're doing. They're doing their best to remain in shape. But the reality is, is I think that if you don't do anything in terms of an organized team activity, weight room, running, conditioning, you can't come back August 1st and just or in, in Pac-12 situation, July 26th, 27th, 28th, is when most teams were projected to start training camp, and just start laying the wood. And you just can't do it. You know, your body will, will break. You know, think about what teams have already done to curtail training camp to make sure that they're, they're ready to peak, you know, the, in week one of the season. They're going to have to curtail it even more, which, which is tough. So I think, you know... If it's me, I'm saying maybe we come back and it's a three-week um, organized team activity, right, which is like seven-on-seven seven drills, mat drills, movement drills. Get, get your body right, and then maybe it's in a bridge training camp, and maybe we lose a game or two, and the season gets going in that regard. If this thing goes as at least projected as of last night's news, that, that might be an option if, if you had to lose games. Hopefully not. You know, Hopefully this is under control in the next couple months and, you know, kids can get back on campus and, you know, continue to, you know, feed their bodies and, you know, and all the stuff that I'm sure you guys have talked about. But there, there's so many unintended elements of this from a student-athlete standpoint, from a health and wellness, first and foremost with COVID-19, let alone then you look at the athlete and the performance and how are they training, how are they feeding their bodies, how are they sleeping, all the, all the amazing things that each campus has that obviously now is not part of the day-to-day of a student-athlete's life. So is recruiting down to uh, phone calls when allowed and texting and uh, social media posts? Yeah, I think recruiting is going to be interesting now. Um, you know, we saw one of the top quarterbacks in the country um, commit to Oregon last week. I saw him at the Elite 11. I think it was like one of the final Elite 11s that we had before you know, suspending the, the, the camp circuit. Um, I, I think so. I think it's going to naturally do that. I think, though, that is going to be a – you know, one of the positives that come out of this, you know, coaches obviously and everyone having to be quarantined with their families, um, you know, it's a terrible circumstance, but not being on the road in May will be okay. You know, they'll survive that. I think from an athlete standpoint of, you know, all the quote-unquote love that they would get, um, and a lot of it is, un- is unnecessary in my opinion, you know, maybe that shifts things back a little towards normalcy in terms of, you know, a little bit of balance in college football and the profession, uh, let alone in recruiting. Uh, and, you know, or, or you're going to go the opposite, and teams are just going to take big risks and just start offering guys that, 
really only have seen on junior tape and haven't been able to walk by and size up. And uh, I hope in the, in the programs I've talked to, a lot of people are kind of slowing down to a certain degree and saying, hey, we're going to be just fine. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll get through it. Um, you know, there's been, you know, 90, I'd, I'd call it 92 years, 93 years of college football. You know, you could argue even longer than that. Maybe maybe it's 142, 143 years of college football where they had recruiting that didn't have like a crazy social media and in-person element. So I think the sport will be just fine. But it, it will impact teams that were able to get on guys early, get them to campus, get a silent commit. But I don't think anything is going to like tear down programs and have to rebuild and you lose a whole recruiting class based on what's going on right now. Wondering if this situation will limit the impact of newcomers, whether they be JC guys or freshmen who get on campus in August, because the coaches they might not have time to give them the individual instruction and maybe go more with veteran guys. Do you see this forecast like that possibly happening? Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the, the redshirt rule is a brilliant rule overall, and it's an even better rule regarding the situation that you just outlined. Um, because you have to ease guys in, you know. I mean, that's just the the reality of it. You know, you can't burn out their bodies. You know, I, to me, um, I've always felt this. We did this with Reggie Bush when he came to SC, and, and I still think it's the best way to bring in JC players, first year players, transfer first year players, is to give them one, two, or three things to learn. Right. So if it's running back, it's you know, hey, I want you to learn outside zone. And I want you to learn an angle route and a wheel route, you know, for instance. That's it, you know. And that's all you give them. Receiver, we used to do it with uh, guys when they come in SC, whether it was Mike Williams, Dwayne Jarrett, Patrick Turner. You name the guys that came in. It was learn a slant, learn a post, and learn a fade. And the fade was the hardest one to teach, to be quite honest with you, because of all the you know nuances of the, of the route. And, and then you go from there. Okay, and then by week three, week four, you get a bye, and they get to take a breath and, you know, relax and teach them a little bit more. But but I do think that if you're counting on, you know, a freshman quarterback, for instance, it's hard right now because all these guys came in mid-year, right? And they're doing everything they can. They're in their books. They're Skyping or FaceTiming with their coach, you know, or Zooming. Like, they're, they're doing – but you can't replace the reps, you know. It's just, it's just a reality to the sport. So I, I do think there's an element there. Um, and you'll probably see teams – you know, be more conservative, you know, especially if teams are loaded on the defensive side, right? You know, I look at Washington as an example, right? They bring in a new offensive coordinator. They're going to play a guy who's never played meaningful snaps in a game. You know, I, I, I take that back. I think uh, one of the quarterbacks had one meaningful snap because the helmet of Jacob Eason came off last year in a game that I was calling, you know, in, in Sermon. So o- overall, they're going to play with great defense, you know, run the football. And that's kind of how Jimmy Lake's outlined his approach anyway. But you, you can't – I don't say you can't, but you, you're not very confident in terms of throwing out a guy who's, you know, call it – has had 28 practices. You know, it's still it's, – it's not zero, but it's still not a lot of – it's a trust factor, you know, that I think the coaches are, are all going to have to deal with. But everybody's going to have to deal with it to be quite honest with you. So it's a simplification of the playbook. It's a simplification of the decision-making of, you know, the respective player. And then it's, I think, probably playing really conservative. And I would bet that most of training camp, at least the first 10 days of it this year, with more individual periods than we've ever seen in the history of training camp to, to that point, just to kind of drill home, 
you know, some of those elements that win and lose you ball games, which are explosive plays, which usually busts, and turnovers, which, which speak for themselves. Yogi, as always, we appreciate a few minutes with you. Thanks for checking in, and uh, good luck in your new career as a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> hey, we got a big science experiment. If you have any, hit me up, because I'm literally Googling every night, like, kid science experiment, and that's our 11 a.m. break before uh, we get a little rest time. So uh, kick them over, please. I need, I need all the help I can get. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.